We welcome you to Edge Church this morning. So great to share this Easter Sunday morning with you. And, uh, you know, the resurrection of Jesus is the, is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. The, the, the Christian faith is the only religion that teaches that its founder died and then rose again on the third day. And that separates the Christian faith from every other faith in the world. It makes it unique and it's different. And if indeed Jesus truly did rise from the grave, it is the greatest news of all. Uh, peace has come to humanity. The forgiveness of sins has been offered uh, by Jesus' death and resurrection. And we have the opportunity to feel God's love in our heart. But not everybody believes in the resurrection of Christ. And I'm starting a series that I'm continuing over the next few weeks called Doubters Welcome, where we're looking at the subject of doubt. And when you think about the Easter story, it's easy to assume that everyone believed. But in reality, uh, many of the people that interacted with Jesus were very slow to embrace his resurrection. And today I want to talk to you about how God moves us from doubt to faith. I want us to look at Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but maybe you heard about the uh, DePaul University graduate student named Hamet Maida. Uh, a number of years ago, he auctioned his soul on eBay. On the little ad, he put down that for every $10 that somebody would give, he would attend one hour of church services, and it would be the church of their choice. Well, evangelical Christians got super excited about this. Everybody went on eBay and was bidding on this guy's soul, and, you know, he's going to come to my church and all that. And then some of the atheists found out that, that, uh, that he might go to church, and the atheists didn't want to see uh, this, this graduate student moved from atheism to Christianity, so they were bidding. And the Christians and the atheists were in a bidding war. And finally, a retired Christian pastor in Seattle named Mr. Henderson won the bid. There were 41 bids, and he won it with a $504 offer. And he flew to Chicago days later. He met with uh, Mr. Maida. And he said, listen, I don't want you to go to 50 different hours of worship services, but here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to go to 10 to 15 churches of my choosing, and I would like for you to write a review of what you think about these churches coming from the perspective of atheism. And he asked many questions and uh, wrote uh, blogs, all these blog posts that eventually became a book. And I don't think that Mr. Maida has become a Christian, but it's interesting because the questions that he was asking about the resurrection of Christ were the same questions that people were asking 2,000 years ago. Things really haven't changed that much. They really haven't. People have questions. People have questions. People have a lot of questions about the resurrection of Christ. I've always been a why guy. When I was a little kid, I used to go around asking anyone that would talk with me what the last number was. And I was on a serious pursuit to find 
the last number. For some reason, no one could ever answer the question. So I decided to take matters into my own hands. I got a spiral notebook, and I began to write one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And page after page after page, I was seeking the last number, but all I found was that I just kept having more questions because I never could get to the end. (laughs) I'm a why guy. I have a lot of questions. Around the time that I was seeking for the last number, I was asking so many questions, my dad gave me a question quota. He said, Ryan, you are not allowed to ask any more questions today. You can only ask this this many questions per day. So you got to ration out your questions. Maybe you got some questions. Maybe you're a why guy. Maybe you think about the resurrection and you think, man, could this all be true? What really happened at the resurrection? Is it a reality? Well, one of the reasons that the disciples had a hard time embracing the concept of the resurrection is because Jesus died a horrific death. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe that somebody got up out of the grave after you saw him beaten 39 times. They had to carry the cross to Calvary. Uh, A spear was jabbed in his side. And uh, we know from physicians that the blood and water that came out of the side of Jesus was an indication that his heart had been punctured. And Jesus was bloody. He was nailed to that cross. And, and, and so to, to, to think about somebody going through all that and then to see him walking around a few days later, that's enough to freak anybody out. And the disciples, with the exception of John, I had gone back to their old ways of living. They, they thought, man, this is over. We love Jesus. We had a great three, three years with him. We learned so much. But Jesus is gone and is back to business as usual. And that's certainly understandable. Jesus died a horrific death. Logically, they didn't even think Jesus was supposed to die in the first place. I mean, when Jesus began to prophesy that he was going to die... Peter, the disciple, corrected Jesus. He got into an argument with Jesus. Jesus, what are you talking about? You're not going to die. You're the son of God. You're going to be here forever. What do you mean? Quit talking like that, Jesus. That was Peter's commentary on it. And uh, the uh, Easter Sunday morning in Luke chapter 24, the women go to embalm the body of Jesus. And in verse 3, it says they went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were there, while they were, uh, while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. These are the angels. And so the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. The women did not expect to find the resurrect, resurrected body of Jesus. They went to embalm him. And when the angels announced that he had risen, they were in disbelief. Uh, On the Emmaus Road, Jesus encounters a couple of disciples. They're talking about the resurrection when Jesus approaches. They don't recognize him. Jesus is having this funny conversation with them about, about the resurrection without telling them who he was. They didn't recognize him. They were in disbelief. Jesus goes and appears to the eleven. And remember, it used to be 12, but Jesus, I mean Judas, excuse me, Judas hung himself. So now the 12 is 11, and Jesus appears uh, to, to the disciples, and they think he's a ghost. In verse 37, they don't believe. 
there's kind of this idea around the resurrection that everybody's going to be super enthusiastic. Jesus has risen. He's come back again. Let's party. Let's celebrate. We expected the victory all the while. But that's not the reception that Jesus got. People were nervous. People were afraid. Even his most intimate associates were very skeptical. Could this really be true? Is it a possibility that Jesus could rise from the grave? And people have questions today. Some people have said that maybe Jesus had a spiritual resurrection, but not a physical resurrection. But there's lots of problems with that throughout Scripture. Others have said maybe Jesus passed out. Maybe he didn't really die. You know, yes, his heart was punctured and he was nailed and he was crucified and he was bleeding and he didn't have medical attention. And then they stuck him in a tomb by himself. But somehow he got enough energy to move the stone away and, you know, shazam, he's back. Others have said maybe Jesus had an identical twin brother that was from outer space that landed and maybe took over. By the way, does it take a lot more faith to believe in all that stuff than just to believe that Jesus rose? I think so. It wasn't mistaken identity. It's okay to start with doubt, but doubt needs to move towards faith. If we allow too much doubt to be in our life, it can lead us to be negative, cynical, to give up, to be... uh, Uh, to deny, uh, to become sarcastic, and so many other things. How do we move from doubt to faith? Well, Jesus is a master teacher, and he does an incredible job moving the disciples, moving his followers from doubt to faith, and this is what he does. He speaks to the whole person. He speaks to their feelings, to their senses, and to their minds. And I want to give you examples of each one of those here from Luke 24. In Luke 24, 36, he speaks to their feelings. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Where did Jesus start? Jesus said, I want to bring peace. Because you cannot think straight when you are living in a state of panic. When your life is overcome with fear... You can't really think logically about what's going on. So Jesus starts with peace. Peace. Peace be with you. Not panic, but peace. And peace is that inner stillness that comes into our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The biblical word communicates wholeness or lacking nothing or harmony or completeness. Um, And peace in Scripture is not the avoidance of problems. It is the presence of Jesus. See, a lot of times we think, well, if I could just get things at the office to be a little bit better, and if my family was doing this, and if I got a good report from the doctor, or if, if these scenarios or situations worked themselves out, I would have peace. Peace comes from the presence of Jesus in your life. So you can have problems and you can have peace all at the same time. It really is amazing. Philippians calls it the peace that passes all understanding because I can be hurting, I can be struggling, I can be confused, and at the same time, God 
can bring peace into my life. And Jesus is speaking peace to his followers. In Mark 4.39, Jesus said, Peace be still to the winds and the waves on the Sea of Galilee. You see, the disciples have been hearing Jesus talk about peace for years. I think when Jesus said, Peace be with you, they're like, This really is Jesus. Because Jesus was always talking about peace. He calmed the winds and the waves when there was a storm. Did you know when you're in the middle of a storm that Jesus is the one that will bring peace to your life? He's the one that brings that inner calmness. He allows you to be calm even though the waves and the winds are whipping around you. In John 14, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I don't give it to you as the world gives it. Don't let your heart be troubled or be fearful. In other words, my peace is not like what the world says peace is. The world says you'll have peace if you get rid of your problems. Jesus says you're always going to have problems, but you can have peace when you have my presence. And one of the nicknames of Jesus is the Prince of what? He's the Prince of Peace. He knows more about peace than anybody. And this Easter, he can bring peace to your heart when you're facing fear, paranoia, paranoia, pan, uh, pandemic, grief, turmoil, loss, whatever it may be. He's the Prince of Peace. So Jesus speaks to the disciples' feelings. He also speaks to their senses. He says, look at my wounds. Look there in verse 38. Why are you troubled? He asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. That is, I myself. Touch me and see. Because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, but while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Now, I'm sure Jesus was kind of hungry because after all, he had been in the tomb three days, and I'm sure he wanted to eat. But the reason that Jesus wanted to eat in, in the presence of the disciples is because ghosts don't consume food. And he wanted them to see that there was a that Jesus had, had bodily resurrected. He wanted them to see that this was the real Jesus. This was not just some you know, image of Jesus or some spiritual experience. This was the resurrected Christ. And so he eats the food. But he says before that, uh, touch my bones and my flesh. In other words, give me a knuckle bump. I mean, come here, give me a hug. Come feel of me. Look at the wounds in my hands and the spear in my side. Do you, do you see where they crucified me? Come check it out. Man, if you're a doubter today, I want to challenge you today. Not only does God speak through, through peace, but he also speaks through our senses. Use your mind. Use, use your eyesight. Use what you can touch and feel. Look at the evidence. And the disciples went and they were persuaded as they saw the wounds, and they saw the, the scars that Jesus had endured. The disciples looked, and they felt of Jesus. But I think perhaps one of the greatest indicators of the resurrection is the life change that takes place in the life of a believer. If you're not a believer before, um, maybe you've known people that have had dramatic transformations, spiritual transformations in their life. 
People were depressed. People were bummed out. People were afraid. People were struggling with addictions. And they met Christ, and Christ began to make a huge difference in their life. Yes, we don't have the body of Jesus here physically with us today, but we can look at his work. We can look at his movement in the hearts and lives of people, and that is one of the greatest indicators of the gospel. Maybe God's done something in your life. We have a whole series of videos on our website that details the life change of so many of our members here at Edge Church and what God has done in their own life. Look. Look and see. Look at creation. One of the greatest indicators of God's handiwork here on earth is the creation of the world. Man, where did it all come from? It came from It came from God. Look at God's provision in your life. Look at God's movement. Look at God's work. Jesus is saying, just open your eyes, guys. Look and see. Look and behold what I am doing. I have risen from the grave. And finally, he speaks to their minds. He speaks to their senses. He speaks to their minds, their intellect. Look at this in verse 44. He told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So he says, guys, look, think about the scriptures. Now, the disciples were all Jewish. That means that they knew the Old Testament. They knew the writings of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They knew the teachings. They knew the the writings of the prophets. They knew the Psalms. And Jesus reminds them, think about what you know from the Hebrew Scripture. Think about that. That's who I am. The prophecies of the Old Testament have now come to fulfillment. And there's several hundred prophecies. It was prophesied where Jesus would be born. It was prophesied how he would die, uh, where he would be from, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be without sin. The list goes on, a descendant of David, on and on and on and on and on. And Jesus is framing his resurrection in the context of the scriptures of the Old Testament. He says, open your mind. We ought to look and see, and we also ought to think deeply about the resurrected Christ. You know, the Bible, the Gospels, is one of the greatest, it is the most, the most substantiated document in all of antiquity. We know more about the New Testament than we know about any other document in the world. Did you know it? Um, we have more than 5,800 uh, fragments or complete manuscripts in Greek of the New Testament, 10,000 in Latin, um, 9,300 in manuscripts in other languages, and some of them go back as far as A.D. 120, meaning that we know a lot about the story of Jesus. We know a lot more about Jesus than we know about so many ancients. So many heroes and, and uh, kings and empires and things like that of, of antiquity. We know more about Jesus than all of those guys. 
And we ought to look and see, and we ought to study, and we ought to read the Scripture to understand it. Now, the Bible says here, according to Jesus, he opened their minds. I mean, I just love that concept. Jesus opened their minds. Maybe you're a skeptic because your mind has never been opened. And maybe you should pray and ask God, God, open my mind. See, for some people, it's not about the facts. It's not about the facts at all. In fact, I was talking with a guy about the resurrection a few years ago. And I was going through and I was explaining, you know, I'm passionate about this stuff. And I'm talking to this guy about his salvation and I'm talking to him about the resurrection of Jesus and I'm answering his questions. And every time I answered a question, he would ask another question and another question and another question. And finally, I just looked at him and I said, hey, listen, let me just cut to the chase. If I could answer every question that you have about the resurrection, would you believe And he paused for a moment and he looked at me and he said, no. And I said, well, why not? And he said, because I don't want to change. And I appreciated his honesty. But what he said was also very sad to me. In other words, all the evidence (laughs) didn't really matter. And we could talk today from A to Z about the Bible, about the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. We have so much evidence. We have so much information. But if our mind has not been opened, if our heart has not been moved towards Jesus, then it really doesn't matter. We need Jesus to open our mind. This guy I was talking to didn't have an open mind. Do you have an open mind when it comes to the resurrection? Do you have an open mind when it comes to understanding the Savior of the world? Or do you have a closed mind? A closed mind says, I'm just going to do my own thing, and I don't really believe all that stuff. But Jesus is building a case. He brings peace. He speaks to the emotion. He shows the scars. He uses uh, the rationale and the sight of the disciples to look and see. And then he reasons with them through the Old Testament, the prophets, the writings of Moses and the Psalms to point one direction and that is the validity and the significance of the resurrection of the Son of God. Isn't that beautiful to think about? Isn't that beautiful? Do you want God to open your mind? It led to a dramatic transformation. People have questions. Jesus has answers. But Jesus' answers evoke a response. Now check this out. Here's where this is going. In verse 48, you are witnesses to these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you have been empowered on high. He says, you're my witnesses. In other words, listen, if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, you've been commanded by God to tell other people about the resurrection. You're my witnesses. In the first century, these were the people that actually beheld the resurrected Christ. They saw him. They touched him. They talked with him. They ate dinner with him. They knew him. And what's so incredible about these disciples is they 
They started as skeptics, but history records that all 11 died as martyrs for their faith, traveling around the world telling people about the resurrection. Now, that doesn't happen, guys. 11 people don't independently give their lives for something that they were completely suspicious of unless something really radical happens. What would make somebody move from skeptic to martyr? It had to be dramatic. How about the resurrection? How about Jesus getting up out of that grave? And he says, listen, guys, you're to, you're to go and just share. You're to share. You're to tell people the good news. Now, how many of you like to get online and read reviews? Do we have some people here today? You know, you're like, maybe you Yelp. Anybody Yelp or, or Google reviews or, or you look at other things. Maybe, you got some, maybe you're part of a Facebook group. You want to go to a nice restaurant and so you like type it in. You know, are you looking for a, a good school for your kids? Are you, you know, trying to make some other decisions? And you want to know, kind of like with a grassroots, you know, approach, what do normal people, like what do people in my neighborhood say about that store? Or what do people in my community think about this? And it's a lot more compelling than when a celebrity gets on and says, hey, go eat at this restaurant, you know? I mean, there's a place for some of that, but sometimes we want to know, like, what did normal folks say about this? And so we, we read the reviews. Well, a few years ago, we were hosting a summer party at our home, and Gina wanted to get some yard games, and so she went on to Amazon, and she ordered a lawn bowling set, and I got to show you guys a picture of that. That's the lawn bowling set, and I thought, this is going to be fun. I just imagined myself bowling, and I was going to have the kids set up the pins each time, you know? And um, I was going to beat all my guests, you know? It was really going to be fun and really exciting. And those pins look fantastic. Doesn't that look great? Doesn't that look like fun right there? Lawn bowling. I was, I was pumped. Well, when we actually got the package in the mail, it was to my total disappointment the pins were only about six inches tall. I have grass in my yard taller than this. Look at how small that thing is. How, is, how are you going to have yard bowling with that? But the better part is the bowling ball. And you can't see it in the back, but there are actually holes here. It's like a real bowling ball. Like you could put your pinky in there. You could bowl with your pinky. You could spin, you know, if you've got a good rotation. Whatever you do, I was totally disappointed. Gina went back online and she read the ad again and it said at the bottom, uh, items may appear larger in photos, you know, and you're like, uh, yeah, maybe so, maybe so. She went through and read all the reviews after, the, after we were kind of disappointed with the purchase and people were lighting this company up. I mean, they were like, this is the biggest ripoff and all this stuff and we thought, man, we wish that we would have read the reviews before, before we did the purchase. You know what? It's fun to review Jesus because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the Son of God. He is the one that is always faithful. He's the one that is always true. He always delivers. He is the God of grace He's the God of mercy. There is no one like Jesus. 
And, and our job as followers of Christ is to write reviews that tell people the beautiful story of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And there is nothing more powerful than having your life transformed by Jesus. Jesus says, share, share this. Yes, we believe in justice. Yes, we believe in mercy. Yes, we believe in feeding the hungry. And Yes, we want to help people that are marginalized. But you know what? The gospel also has to be spoken, not just shown. Eternal life comes to this good news. People don't need just good, de- good deeds. They need good news. And the disciples also had tremendous joys. Now, the, the response is sharing They're giving Jesus great reviews. And secondly, they're extremely joyful. They're extremely joyful. After worshiping him, they return to Jerusalem with, say it with me, great joy. Yeah, they had great, they they didn't have a little bit of joy. They had great joy. I mean, wow. Jesus has resurrected. Our sins are forgiven. We've connected the dots with all the Hebrew scripture, everything Jesus said is coming to fruition, we have great joy, great enthusiasm. God turned the darkest moment in all of history, that Good Friday when Christ died, into the brightest celebration on Sunday. When the world was swallowed up with darkness, God was working to make all things bright and new, and it brought great joy. Listen today, Easter is a time of joy. Why? Because Jesus has risen. It's a great time of joy. We ought to celebrate that. We ought to rejoice in that. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And finally, they responded in worship. Worship is our response to God for what he has done. And worship is praising God. It is continually giving him thanks for his great work. Look look at there in verse 53. And they were continually in the temple praising God. And I love that word continual. They could not get enough of worship. Man, I want you to be here every weekend worshiping this great resurrected Savior. You know, we've come through this pandemic or we're still getting through the pandemic, but we're getting a lot closer to the end of it. And what a great time to renew our commitment to public worship and to celebrating the resurrected Christ. Wow, it's time to come home, isn't it? And they were continually in the temple praising, praising God. People have questions. Jesus has answers. Jesus' answers evoke our great response of worship of joy and of sharing. Let's pray together.